It's Two Brain Radio. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf tactics to help you improve your fitness business and move you closer to wealth. And now, here's your host, the most interesting man in fitness, Chris Cooper. This episode is brought to you by Insight Tax. Insight Tax is founded by John Briggs, a CrossFitter, great big tall guy with a fantastic sense of humor. And John is like a coach for your books. These guys are not just pencil-pushing number crunchers. These guys will actually help you get toward your perfect day. If you're a member of our growth stage part of the mentoring program, you're familiar with John's videos on 1099 versus W-2 contractors. See, John used to work for the IRS. He's seen the other side of labor law, and he knows exactly where the line is drawn. Don't believe everything you read. But on the tax side, John can actually help you plan to take home more money every year and save more money on taxes because John is a certified profit-first accountant. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm a big fan of Mike Michalowicz's Profit First system, and John at Insight Tax and his staff can help you plan backward from profit to get to where you need to go. It's helped members of the Two Brain family buy houses in the first year that they've implemented Profit First. It's helped people save more money, take home more money, and make the business do what it's supposed to do, which is pay you. Insight Tax is a Two Brain partner. John will be one of our subject matter experts at the summit in June this summer. Ray Gallett is the head of Two Brain Coaching. He's been a good friend of mine for 25 years, and he's also been a professional MMA fighter. He's got his professional motocross card. He has raced bicycles. The guy's done it all. He's also a big questioner of authority. And within the education system, Ray is kind of a shit disturber. He's a guy with fantastic ideas, enormous drive, and tremendous love for fitness and its various pursuits. What he doesn't love is dogma, fake research, and unqualified opinion. If you're part of our UpCoach program, you've spoken to Ray in person before, and you know he bounces around a lot. I mean, the guy is always moving. In this podcast episode, Ray and I are talking about 10, make it 12, make it 13 basic habits that every coach should have. And the UpCoach program develops a lot of these habits and traits and skills as Ray has learned them himself. If you're coming to the summit this summer, or if you're a gym owner and you want to bring a coach to the summit this summer, Ray's lectures are going to be amazing because he's not just concerned with the development of knowledge of movement. He is concerned with the development of coaches. Ray Gallant. All right, Ray, welcome back to Two Brain Radio. Hey, good to be here. It's glad. pretty cool to be back. Yeah, man. So uh, we're really pumped about the summit in uh, June in Chicago. You're going to be running a full two days for coaches there. We've got a lot of special guests. Uh, you know, Dave Tate's going to be there. We'll cool. be doing some Pilates, weightlifting, gymnastics, all that stuff too. But we're going to start today with top 10 really simple coaching fixes. All right. Yeah. Where'd you come up with this list? I've been coaching for uh, for 20 some years now. And uh, the list came from a whole pile of resources. You know, a lot of this stuff came from mistakes that I've made, uh, some, things, some things that have affected me deeply, and then other things I've found that uh, that just come to you as as you age and you progress. Uh, of course, you know, I read like crazy. I try to get a hold of every uh, bit of coaching advice that I can. So it's really, it's an accumulation of, uh, I guess, convergent evolution. Uh, you know, I wouldn't call them epiphanies or anything, but, you know, all of a sudden something comes to you. It's like, oh, God, yeah, that was me that was screwing up, <laughs> screwing that up all that time. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't them. And then, then, there, then there's guilt. And it's like, ah, oh, damn it. How many 
people that I screw up and you know made them carry the blame for what what yeah. was eventually my shortcoming. And then uh, anyway, so I guess it's just an accumulation of all of those things. It's good. And you've had a lot of coaches yourself over the years, man. I mean, uh, you've got a pro card in motocross, MMA. Yeah, I, uh, that was another cool thing. I've, I've had so many incredible mentors and, and people who uh, you know who are who are fantastic in, in their respective sports. So I wrestled at university, and you know I had one of the uh, one, one of the coaches. Only a few people in Canada with a level five in wrestling, and, and I was lucky enough to have have that guy. You know, I, I was entry level pro in motocross. Never quite got to qualify for a pro race, but I was racing against the pros. I came close a couple of times. And so trying to figure that out was really interesting. Mixed martial arts. I got to hang out with some of the best coaches around. And, 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 and yeah. And, and uh, Cool. Man. So that's where it came from. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of varied influences here. Let's get straight into this. So the, the first thing you've got here is keep your coaching cues to about three. What does that mean? Well, it, it, it's interesting. Once you start learning more and more and more, uh, maybe it's ego, maybe it's pride. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what it is, uh, but you really want, uh, for me, maybe it was, it was born out of a bit of insecurity where I wanted to make sure people knew what I was talking about. Uh, you know, they're putting their trust in you and, uh, and you want to make sure that they know that they made the right decision. And so one of the ways that I think some people do that is uh, they just start spewing out all the things that they know and they get yeah. 10, 11, 12 points in and I'm probably doing that right now. <laughs> and so coaching cues, keep it to three. So when I'm, I found when I was teaching kids or athletes, when you're learning something that's totally brand new, you can only handle about two or three different instructions at once. That's yeah. it. The, the reason you can spew out tents because it's not brand new. You've, you've developed expertise and uh, that's not them. So after about three coaching cues, people just tune out and they can't keep track because not only they're trying to conceptualize it in their mind, they're actually trying to convert that into some sort of motor pattern. And the amount of work involved in that is uh, can be astronomical for some people. And so after about three coaching points, they just tune out. So if I add like a fourth and a fifth coaching point, are they just forgetting the fourth and the fifth or is that like interfering with the first three? Uh, I would say, yeah, they're, they're trying to hold on to number four and five yeah. and they'll forget one and two. Absolutely. Uh, now, some, there, there, there's an argument that can be made for uh, if you're starting a class and you have a whiteboard, uh, you can put five, six, seven coaching cues up there for sure. Okay. Uh, and especially if you have a, a class of 12 or 15 and you have different people at different levels, you know, some people are going to want to focus on coaching point four, five, and six. Other people are at one, two, and three. Uh, but if you are coaching to a, a, a big group of people, start with one, two, and three, because it never, ever hurts to go back to fundamentals and basics. Even if you're a high-end athlete, mm -hmm. you need that constant reminder and that constant practice of the basic fundamentals. Uh, then you get people moving. And now this is where you can start showing the, the magic of coaching or how much you know, because now I'm going to start circulating around the group. And if I come up against that or come up to with an athlete that needs coaching points three, four, and five, then they get something specific for them. And it's and it's relevant to them. Then I move to the next person. Maybe they're six, seven, and eight. And then I go to the next person. They're one, two, and three. So now I've demonstrated competence to every single person. Not only did I demonstrate competence, I demonstrated, I guess, specificity, if you want to use the right word. So not only did the athletes get the right coaching or get coaching cues, they got the exact right coaching cues that they needed uh, that made them better as opposed to 
going through all eight at the beginning of class and being irrelevant for almost everybody right. or teaching in a manner that you really can't get better when you're trying to focus on eight coaching points all at once. Okay. I, I think that, you know, a lot of coaches are guilty of undercoaching. They don't explain why they're doing things. And I tend to be guilty of overcoaching. You know, I, in an attempt to establish my authority, I draw graphs on the floor in chalk. I mean, Clients don't actually need that shit, right? They don't want it. Yeah, that's I, I do the same thing. I, I and I try to strike a balance. So a lot, most of my coaching is done at the high school. Yeah, with different kids, and I have a wide spectrum. And you're absolutely right. There's some people that say, "Look, I'm paying you, yeah, so I don't have to think. I believe <laughs> you. Yeah, exactly. Like I bought in when I walked through your door. Stop selling. Yeah, just produce results and do it mm -hmm. the most, you know, in the fast, most efficient way possible. And that's great. Uh, but in my class, I have some people, you know, they, they're intrinsically motivated to learn these things. And when they see it, or when you explain it to them, you see these lights go on. And now all of a sudden, they can apply it to different sports. So in my fitness class, I'm trying to provide a, a training foundation that allows them to take their knowledge into other sports. And so, for example, when I explain anaerobic power versus capacity, all of a sudden the hockey players' like lives go on. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing 90-second intervals because I'm only supposed to be on the ice for 45 <laughs> seconds. I think, all right, cool. Now we're making progress. So, yeah, it's uh, – man, that's a tough question. How much do you talk in class? And Yeah. Well, okay, so I think we just blew our own rule there. But <laughs> totally if, blew our rule. Let's, let's just say everybody start with three coaching <laughs> Three coaching kids. Done. Okay. All right. Uh, number two. Learn about personality types. Why is that important? Oh man, this is okay. This is this is a bigger one, uh, and you're probably never ever going to stop learning about personality types. Uh, I'm not what I'm not sure what the exact name of the bias is, but when you start coaching, sometimes you tend to think that other people think like you. Not uh, projection bias. Projection bias for sure. And when you start learning about other personality types, and, and in particular, uh, what happens when two different people of two different personality types start interacting with each other, the friction that can be kind of created there, and to uh, you know, to maybe use an example of uh, if we want to go to the big five personality traits, uh, openness, okay. uh, people who are open to experience. And so you've probably seen clients come in where you've had a completely different workout, you've done something completely different, and they're like, yeah, this is fantastic because... Uh, you know, they're, they're attracted to novelty, right? And they don't yeah. see that novelty as a threat. But if you have somebody who's low in openness, they're like, no, I'm doing this because I know this works and I'm not straying from this pattern. And if you come in with something that's off the wall, uh, you can get some friction there. Yeah. If you don't explain it to them, you know, if it makes sense and they can rationalize it, it's like, oh, okay, all right. So it's kind of like you need to make your unpredictability predictable. Every Saturday, for example, you're not going to know what you're going to get. Right. So that is predictably unpredictable. Okay. And so the people who are low in openness now can predict the unpredictability. And, and that helps them out okay. in that situation, if that makes any sense. Uh, now, there's a whole pile of personality tools. Like there's a Myers-Briggs. Um, and if you want an introduction to that, 16personalities.com is a fantastic way to get into it. And you can go and you can take the test yourself and answer the questions honestly, truthfully. Uh, and in this, the readout or the, uh, the analysis that'll give you of your personality type is, uh, sometimes it's eye opening. If you want to understand others, you got to start with yourself first and see what your biases and your tendencies are. Oh boy, I'm scared. And then once you're there, 
then you can start to expand out because you need to understand where you're coming from and how that influences your conversations with other people. Okay. So the 16 personalities, great way to start, uh, but it's a tool. It's a screwdriver. Uh, another one is the big five personality trait. And, and, and that's, we'll, we'll call that a hammer or whatever. And each one of these personality typing tools are different tools for different scenarios. And so there's not one that is right. They all seem to be right for the right job. Okay. And so you can start there. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's keep it simple. I'm, yeah. I'm worried that if I took the personalities quiz, like <laughs> one of my personalities would want to murder the other 15. Yeah. It's scary, right? man. It is scary. Well, in that 16 personalities.com, it, it actually outlines your strengths and weaknesses okay. in the workplace. Oh, okay. And how in, you know, it provides a plausible explanation as to why perhaps there's sometimes there's friction. Yeah. And then the other side of it, why you seem to absolutely click with some people. Hmm. And so going back to coaching and you need to, and that's another point, probably right there it means you need to be a different coach for every single person so you are constantly changing your personality the, the words that you're saying depending on the client that you're with okay and so let's call that number three we'll call that number three and it, and it ties into the other point too you know you're learning about introversion extroversion uh you know motivation structures uh how when people make plans and their goal setting you know what goals they're making and why they're making them and what happens when they something happens that it seems like they're not getting closer and, mm -hmm. and how that, it, how that has a plays a role in the conversation that you have. And so, yeah, you're being a different person. You're being a different coach for every single athlete. Okay. So number three, be a different coach for each athlete, depending on what they need or want. Right. And in a, a quick example are introverts versus extroverts. Right. You know, uh, some introverts, they just want they're there. It's very specific, very goal oriented, very left brained. Uh, they don't need high fives. They just need good coaching and good feedback, and they could care less what your opinion of them is. Right. Uh, extroverts are kind of looking for that that social uh, group, and, and that's what energizes them. They actually yeah. they're energized when they're with a group of people, and so now you're you know maybe it's more high fives, maybe it's more working groups of four or five, mm. uh, as opposed to the other person who. <laughs> may thrive by themselves. Mm. I, I shared this story with, uh, with our business group on Facebook, but I, I was at an event in San Diego, not too long ago with, uh, some people in another mastermind group. These are all very, very intelligent people. Everybody earns between two and 5 million a year. That's the requirement to join the group. And we did CrossFit and, you know, one person was the last to finish the workout. So as we do in CrossFit, everybody gathers around and cheers. And she said, I hated that. That's why I don't join CrossFit. I don't want to yeah. be that last place finisher that everybody fucking cheers for. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that required different coaching. We're going to talk about how you deliver that in a group setting in Chicago, I think, right? Yeah. 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 That'll okay. be one of the topics. A little bit of a, not a confession, a, a story that's a little bit similar. So you remember when I was fighting Yeah. and I would show up at night and I would start doing workouts and, uh, and I knew that if I showed up at a certain time that people would watch. And I was like, ah, and I didn't like that. No. And so I started showing up at different times when there was nobody there. Yeah. And so how do you accommodate for somebody like that? If you're going to be doing groups all the time, uh, you can, and I, and I do it in my classes. I find a way to make not people invisible, but allow them to be present, but autonomous. Okay. 
So that's a trick. So in a, and this is going to be our next one is give clients what they want, not what you want, which is harder than it sounds. And on the business side, it's, it's really easy to, to lay this out because some people don't come to CrossFit groups because they don't like groups, not because they dislike CrossFit. So having a personal training system really fits in with them, right? But what do you mean when you say give clients what they want, not what you want, and you're coaching in a group? Oh, um, wow. Uh, again, so bringing your own experience into the classroom. So maybe, maybe being the, uh, maybe having the best friend score in, in your gym or in your group, you value that. Mm -hmm. And so climbing, I guess, maybe uh, the performance hierarchy, for example, uh, that's what gave value to you. Uh, that might not be what gives value to your client. Okay. Maybe they're just here so they can be just fit enough that they can play soccer with their grandkids. They can go canoeing on the weekend. And, and that's what's of value to them. Um, you may value pushing yourself really, really hard. So I have a, a training partner and we're, we're, we're probably not quite right. And so we joke around with when we make up workouts, say, hey, well, why are we going to do that? Well, because it hurts more. Oh, nice. <laughs> like, oh, man. And we laugh, right? Yeah. Uh, so that would be and, – and when I started coaching, I sort of brought that to the table. Hey, these people want to feel like they've worked really, really hard and it's kind of skirted that boundary between uncomfortable and there's something that's dis discomfort and pain because I valued that. Right. I assume that that's what they're here for. No. It's not. Not no. the case. You're a loser. Move on. Yeah. Speaking to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and they didn't come back and, and, and I lost those people, but – that's really common. And that, I think that's where like the, um, the seed client technique that we teach on the business side is really effective because instead of saying, what do I like and projecting that onto other people, you're actually asking your best clients, what do you like? And that was a huge shocker to me. And I've talked about that many times. Uh, number five, see the big picture. Uh, yeah. So you, you're going to have, it ties into personalities. It ties into goals. Ties into motivations. In uh, the best example I can use, and this was a this was a game changer for me a little bit. It was uh, Canadian Sport for Life. I think it's .ca or .com or whatever. They they came out with a document or a I guess more of a a philosophy, uh, and it was coined long term athlete development. So if you Google long term athlete yeah. development and images, bam, it comes up, and it just identifies all of the stages from birth all the way to fit for life mm -hmm. and being active for life. Elite level athletes are in there. Upper level high school athletes are in there. Physical remediation is in there. But what changed it for me was that each person in each different stage has different goals. And so it was really one document, one picture on one piece of paper that showed to me that in order to reach everybody that comes through my door, I have to be able to coach in each one of these 10 domains. So I have to be a good remedial coach. So for people who don't have that foundation of physical literacy, you know, and when we see that, I'm going to teach you how to squat. I'm going to teach you how to throw a wall ball and catch it. And so that's the physical remediation kind of part. Mm -hmm. um, learning how to train. We have people who are coming in who have never, ever trained in their life, never played a sport. And so the, the rules there are different. And then we also have people who are training how to train. So now that you're kind of, you've learned how to train, now we're going to train so you can actually start training. And, and you know, that could be a, a year-long window, and it has a series of progressions. So that in a class, I know that more than likely there's somebody, there's somebody who represents each one of those groups out of my group of 20. Wow. And so it goes back to the be the coach, the person 
that you that that person needs. So now I'm actually not only my psychologically acting differently with each individual athlete, they're actually getting the coaching uh, specific to the stage in life that they're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the good one is uh, competitive for life as opposed to, you know, trying to make their way to the CrossFit games. You have your athletes, they just love being fit enough that once a month they can show up to your to the gym's challenge. Yeah, challenge. And throw compete. Down. Yeah. Throw it down and then that's good. Go up for wings later. And go for and wings. Not hurt themselves. So that's the long term athlete development. Big picture. Okay. I think if you're coaching and or refereeing in the open, you you see this more than in a normal class because in a normal class, maybe you've got, you know, 90 seconds with an athlete before you move on to the next, right? But when you're in the open, like last night, I'm stuck with one athlete for 13 minutes and trying to coach and judge them. And uh, that's where you start to be able to shift into different modes of coaching, depending on what they need, right? Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah so. sure. Okay. Um, assume that if something isn't working, you're the one who screwed up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Number six. Arrogance. Arrogance. Oh, yeah. That's up there, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> wow. Where does that come from? It, you know, not, not entirely our fault, I guess, or whatever. If you're coaching, I, then I guess you're probably pretty good at what you're coaching at. Mm-hmm. And so you have a level of competence there. And so now you're thinking, hey, I'm a fairly competent CrossFitter. Better than most, maybe. Yeah. Skill wise, technically, we I mean we all know where we rank internationally <laughs> Unfortunately, on the scale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so so I don't think it's unreasonable to think that when you cross over that line to coaching, that you think it's a progression and your competence comes with you. It's like, well, you wouldn't assume that you're gonna be a good basketball player the very first day you played basketball. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh no, that's ridiculous. Or hockey, right? Yeah. And so when people cross over from being a good athlete into coaching, why would you assume you're gonna be good at coaching? It's like, oh man, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes. Now, if you're competent in your sport, it's probably because you've had really good coaches and you'll get away with imitating them, which kind of puts you up there, and that's yeah. great and that's fine. Uh but if something doesn't go right, uh, there's so much stuff that we don't know. And so if you're doing a program or if you're if you're running through a program, if you're testing something with an athlete or a client and it's not working, uh, don't don't let the default be it's their fault. You know, they're not working hard enough or assume that it's you. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe your client is a non-responder. You know, maybe it appears about 10 to 20 percent of the population can't build muscle. Or once they have a muscle mass about five times that of their bone mass, they can't build more muscle mm-hmm. unless, you know, a significant amount of fat goes with it. Or VO2, you know, there's about 10 to 20% of the population that can't significantly change their VO2. Yeah. Not your client's fault. Maybe it's your programming. Come up with something different, you know. This program, you know, this maximal aerobic power program works. Yeah, for endurance athletes, who are primarily slow twitch muscle fiber athletes, you got a sprinter. Really? You're going to put a sprinter through an aerobes workout? Yeah. You're going to destroy them. You know, that's your fault. So anyways, I've, assuming, starting with the assumption that I'm the one that screwed up has paid off more than it's uh, than it's punished me, I guess. Okay. I, I know this time of year, you see all these ridiculous posts from box owners about their clients saying, oh, this guy's been taught how to do a hang power clean 30 times and he can't remember it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's not their job 
to know how to do a hang power clean. It's your job to teach them how to do a hang power clean for the next 30 years if that needs to happen, right? Yeah. And that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of us. Uh, it is tempting, you know, when you're stressed and tired to say, why isn't that person listening? But the truth is, it's you. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe you've given them eight coaching cues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brain can't yeah. handle that. We're, we're very limited creatures. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. Next, number seven, be wary of the next big thing. Yeah. And, and maybe that's my skeptical nature coming through. Okay. And uh, early on when I started coaching, um, man, I think our brains are attracted to shiny things or different yeah. things. And we'd like to think that there's something out there. There's a, there's a magic training program. There's a magic pill. There's a magic supplement. And, uh, and we've been at this fitness stuff for quite some time now that if something comes along that makes us incredible claim that it's going to significantly revolutionize fitness or performance, uh, be incredibly wary of it. Uh, or at least this one served me well to be open to the possibility that it's just the reincarnation of old knowledge. And, uh, and you see what's happening, or I've seen it happen twice now, once in motocross and sort of seeing it now in CrossFit a little bit with aerobiccapacity.com mm -hmm. where you see uh, it was a Tour de France coach and a world-class triathlete with old knowledge and they're reincarnating it into uh, and applying it to CrossFit. And so it's like, oh, this looks like a new way to train. So, well, it's not a new way to train. It's an old principle that was kind of developed through natural selection because mm -hmm. they had decades and decades of training programs and they've seen things that didn't work and they've kind of converged on things that did. Uh, then they applied those training principles to the motocross track. Why? Well, how long are your motos? 40 minutes. Hmm. You mean like a 10 K? Yeah. <laughs> how many times do that in a day? Twice. Okay. So wait a second. <laughs> you do two 10 K runs in a day. Wow. Maybe you're an endurance athlete, not a motocross racer. Right. It's like, ah, okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> and so then you start looking at CrossFit. Well, how long are your watts? Well, they're 15, 20 minutes. You mean 5k? Yeah. It's like, ah, okay. So maybe you're an aerobic athlete that needs strength. And so if there's something new claiming to be really, really new, be wary, but it, be open that it's something that uh, has already existed and just has found a new application. Yeah, we do see this a lot. And, um, you know, in fitness in general, it's knowledge is cyclical. You know, you'll yeah. see these trends happen, balance training. Um, you're probably going to see that rear its head again pretty soon. Um, now you're starting to see people come up with supplemental quote unquote machines to help with CrossFit movements, oh, wow. yeah. you know? So for example, um, a guy quote unquote invented a piece of string with a kettlebell hanging off the end of it. And he put Ben sits on his knees and like pulls that down to practice pull-ups. Well, those of us who were around before CrossFit remember the lat pull down machine, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Be wary of the next big thing is and shiny objects is the, yeah. Yeah. We'll okay. get to the periodization one later, but same, same deal. And kind of related to this. So number eight is you have to learn about understanding evidence and research or you'll be a slave or victim to new trends. To all the new trends. Uh, okay. You have to sharpen your sword. Okay. You have to be able to articulate your skepticism. You have to have the words. You have to have the understanding. Uh, when somebody comes to you with, hey, look at this new research. We've tested this new periodization plan and it outperformed all of the other ones. Uh, you have to ask intelligent questions like, well, is this an editorial? Is this a case report? Is this a, uh, was this a control study? Was it a prospective cohort? Was it an RCT? You know, you have to understand uh, how evidence works, how research works, how good experiments are run. 
You know, did they control for all the variables? Was it an absolute improvement or was it a relative improvement? You know, quite often you'll say, hey, we can reduce your... Some of the warm-up programs that I've seen say, hey, we can reduce ACL injuries by 30%. It's like, well, hold on a second. Said, you know, was this an RCT? Well, no, it wasn't a randomized controlled trial. It was a clustered trial, which Mm -hmm. has implications there. It's like, well, did you reduce injuries by 30%? Absolutely. No, it was a relative risk reduction of 30%. I said, okay, well, what was the relative risk to to begin with? Well, it seems to be 4%. I said, (laughs) okay, so hold on a second here. (laughs) So you're claiming a 30% reduction in ACL injuries, but really it's a relative risk of 30%. So I was at 4%. Yeah. Now what am I at? Well, maybe (laughs) (laughs) 3.25. And is that for certain? Well, Well, no, it's only 95%. We're only 95% confidence that there's something there, although we don't know what it is. I said, well, what was your training program? Oh, well, check out our, our warm-up program. We had squats in there. Okay, strength development. Uh, we had coaching in there. Okay, great. Was it the same coach for every group? Wow, well, no, it was each team's individual coach. Great. Okay, cool. And what else? <laughs> you know, did you did they were they all in cleats? Well, we don't know that. It's like, okay, so some were in cleats, some weren't in cleats. All right, but anyways, keep going. Uh, we did agility stuff. Oh, so you did agility. Okay, so it's agility training. And strength training. And what else? Well, we did mobility stuff. Okay. Here we so go. We so we did everything. You did something. So, you, did something. so you tell me you did everything. Yeah. And you have a relative risk reduction, absolute risk reduction of like 0.75% on something you're 95% confident with. Thanks, but yeah. maybe I won't be buying into your $500 program <laughs> based on what you provided me. But I'm going to be open too. So that's the other part of it. And you know, okay. I'm naturally skeptical, so you can throw everything out and be a jerk. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to be open. But right now, this is my opinion and based on the evidence that I've seen. And I'm show me something better, and I'll change my mind in an instant. So if there's a better way that I can warm up my clients to reduce injuries, I'm in. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to ignore something that has been in place for years that has gone through maybe a... I guess if you want to call it the process of natural selection, we kind of know that it works or at least minimizes harms based off of the collective wisdom of the last hundred years of coaching yourself. So sharpening the saw is not just finding new things to learn. It's also being critical of what you're encountering. Yes. Being absolutely critical and having the language to, to, to back it up is the big thing. So quite often I find that people's instincts are correct. Say, Hey, here's our new, magic supplement it's going to make you better and they're like yeah yeah i'm not so sure yeah, yeah. and then the, and the salesperson or whatever says well here's the evidence and then you look at the evidence and it looks legit and you don't have the skill set to deconstruct it right and to to understand the trick that different companies play or, mm. or and i don't want to say that they're doing it malevolently either it's so no, they, I'll they, say that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can say it. They sure. Not like we haven't encountered it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying not everybody is malevolent. And sometimes yeah. they don't even understand the shortcomings of the evidence that they're proposing. So, you know, sharpening the, the edge of the sword or sharpening the tip of the spear or whatever. I mean, what we're really referring to here is 
sharpening your ability to separate fact from fiction because sometimes it really is a fine line. Yeah, the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, Yeah. and people sometimes even have great intentions of presenting their quote-unquote evidence and unfortunately just doesn't. And honestly, and we'll we'll go back to that ECL example, right? There's a lot of factors, Q angle and all that sort of stuff. If it's a 30% relative risk reduction, if your absolute risk is 20%, 30% lower than that is significant. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. We're in. I'm, I'm, yeah. You and I are going to do that. We've had that discussion. But if we, you know, you look at somebody else and their relative risk is only 4%, it's like, do you really want to waste 20 minutes of the time you're paying me to be with you to go through this process? The answer for them might be no. For I'm a good. quarter of a percent. For a quarter times, of a percent. Yeah, that okay. may or may not may be or may not. <laughs> Okay. So number nine, understand all the different needs and positions of your clients. Yeah. As the... Um, so that goes back into to, to motivation, understanding exactly why they're there. We've probably covered something like we I'm sure we've covered it already, but know exactly why your client walked through the door, what it is they need, know their position in life. So know the outside circumstances of what they're act, they actually live day to day. You know, are they, um, do they do shift work? Okay. Are they single? Yeah. Are they in their early twenties or are they in their late forties? You know, are they, Know, fast twitch athletes, they slow twitch athletes. And there, there's so many different factors. So it's important mm-hmm. to get a big picture of exactly who that client is. And that takes time. You can't, uh, if it's one-on-one, you can cover that, that territory a lot faster. But if it's a group of 12 or 15, it, it's tricky to understand yeah. all those things. That's right. And so you kind of have to make a conscious effort to talk to that person and get a, a bigger picture of what it is they're dealing with outside of the gym because that'll influence how you uh, how you coach them inside of the gym. I think that's uh, actually a really common problem that's tripping up a lot of businesses right now is they don't know what the client is there for. They assume the client is there to do CrossFit and that's not it. The client is looking for resolution to their problem through CrossFit as a tool, but they're not solely there just to do CrossFit. So maybe they want to lose weight. CrossFit is the way they're going to try doing that. They might try something else later, you know? Yeah. Okay, man. So um, do not underestimate the power gift of your genetics. And I think that this goes along with that projection bias, right? Yeah. And, and um, in the way I said this, when, when coaches come in, they, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to be humble and, and I get that. And so getting, convincing a coach that they might be not special, I don't want to use that word, but they may be an anomaly where what worked for you, actually you're, you are almost certainly an anomaly if you're in this position, because I'm going to guess that you have been an athlete. You were probably good at it. Why were you probably good at it? Well, because you were probably a high responder and you were probably a relatively high threshold athlete. So that means when you first started, you're probably good at it. And then when you started training, you got even better. Uh, Not everybody is like that. So you'll have high responders, Low thresholds. You don't have people come into the gym where they're not really good at all, uh, but they they respond incredibly well to just about anything that you uh, that you present to them. Yeah, you know. So that's one case. So if you're a coach, understand that people might not be able to do what you've done. They don't have the genetics for it. They can't recover. They're not as talented as you are, uh, and they're in a different position. And it might take them a lot longer to get better at the things that they're trying to get better at. And so how that relates back to your programming, kind of twofold, if you if you have a high responder athlete and you've given them a program and they respond to it like crazy, well, maybe it's their genetics and it wasn't necessarily your program. And so 
don't don't be too confident in your program that it's amazing because you just might have a special athlete. And, and if that's the case, the program you gave them was probably the program you did that right. you responded to. So then, so back to assume if something is working, it was you that screwed up. If you have an athlete who's a low threshold and a slow responder and you're they're going through your program and they're not improving. The flip side is don't necessarily change your program or it might not be the program's fault. It might be the responder's fault. So that program might be a good one for somebody else. So create a different program for that athlete or restructure the timeline of their goals because they're a slow responder. So the, the program is fine. It's your timeline that was wrong. If that makes uh, sure that yeah, makes more sense. Applied stoicism in coaching, I think. <laughs> um, back to be the voice your client needs scratched out and wants to hear. <laughs> right. Right. I put, yeah. Be be the voice that your that your client wants to hear. The easiest example is when I start a workout. You know, there's a there's a voice in my mind that says, "Okay, you can do this. You can't do that." Oh man, I'm feeling good today. I'm feeling like crap today. And sometimes you just, you don't want to fight with that voice and you want somebody to tell you what it is that you want to hear. I can do this. I am courageous enough, you know? And, and again, I guess that's sort of that bringing that bias into the gym where you walk into the gym and it's not an intimidating place. For you. You've been there before. You've been successful at it. Somebody coming in, man, that's scary. Like there's big, strong people all over the place doing these amazing things. Uh, and maybe you've never even really kind of been an athlete before. And you're, this is brand new to you. Uh, and, and you're scared. You know, there's that self-doubt in your mind where uh, you're thinking, maybe I shouldn't be here. And so your job as a coach is to remove that self-doubt uh, on a goal that you've mutually agreed upon. And so you've got to be careful. I, so when I said need, I scratched that out. So sometimes a coach will impose what it is they think the client needs. And I said, don't be so arrogant to think that you know what they need. So quite often, we don't even know what we need. And so the odds that you know what they need is probably even smaller than that. And so make sure that you have a discussion. What do you want out of this? And, um, well, I want to be an elite athlete. All right. Well, this is the coaching you're going to get. And it's brutal because elite level sport is brutal. Another discussion. What do you want? I want to have some fun. Cool. We're going to have some fun. You're going to get the fun coaching. And then that's the voice you get to hear. So for example, I'll see somebody who's coming for fun and they start dragging themselves into the deep end of the pool and the coaching cues go, are you sure? Yeah. Sure. This is what you want. Just be steady, be safe. I go, you know, the, my line at the school the joke is I can be careful with these concept two rowers. They have the ability to steal your soul. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. No, it's so true. And so when I see somebody working too hard and I know that their goals are just fun and fitness back off because that effort is not sustainable over a long period of time. And that's that all out PB effort that you see elite level athletes, Mm -hmm. you know, do to themselves. But if that's, if that's what they want, that's the goal. Really? If that's what they really want, then I'm that voice. And I say, why are you being such a pansy? You know, well, that's the podcast version of it. (laughs) I actually say other things, (laughs) but but that's what they want to hear. Right. And that's the point. And and some people respond well to being, I don't want to say ridiculed, but they respond well to that type of antagonistic coaching. Okay. And other people absolutely hate it. So the point is, be who, uh, I hate it. Definitely. So, and actually I think this is a great point because you know, if you're a coach and you're ever tempted to say this client needs a hard dose of reality, 
Or let me, you know, let me get real for you for a minute. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I shared a, I shared a video with you a couple of days ago of a coach ranting on Facebook about you got to harden the F up. And uh, I mean, if I was a client of his gym, I would have quit. Yeah. And that's a guy with, you know. Yeah. You, you, you know. have no idea how hard people are Yeah, and, and how tough they are in the amount. Sometimes it's just like some of the people that come in my class and work so hard. It's just outstanding. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And they don't even, nobody even notices them. Yeah. But they're probably the most courageous person in the room. Yeah. And it's absolutely amazing. So when you hear, yeah, when you hear so, those, everybody has to toughen the F up. Like, no. Well, yeah. No. Maybe maybe you shouldn't be thinking that you're much tougher than anybody else is. <laughs> if you want to play the odds game, you're, you're probably not. <laughs> and, and the long game. I mean, you keep the client there for ten years; they're going to become something amazing. That's freaking tough. Yeah. So let, let's just focus on keeping them there for ten years. Okay. Number. I don't know if this is eleven or twelve or seventy-two, but <laughs> bend, don't break. I use that all the time, and it's uh, it's quite. I don't want to say I get stereotyped or what the exact word is, but. Because I came from wrestling, because I was a fighter, you know, I got the tattoos and all that sort of stuff. People think I'm this, uh, H-A-F. Coach, yeah, coach, <laughs> coach Woodcock kind of teacher, right? <laughs> no pain, no gain, you maggots. Like, no, no, that's the last thing in the world. I go, no pain, no gain sells movies, yeah. but it destroys people. Mm-hmm. And, and it's my opinion from my experience. It's, it's been wrong, but. Uh, you also have to be uncomfortable. And so when I'm coaching people, I said, I want you to bend, but I don't want you to break. Why? Because adaptation occurs when you exceed your current capacity, but just by enough, just a little bit. And then what we're going to do is we're going to exceed your capacity today. Then you're going to go home and you're going to rest and you recover. Then you're going to come back stronger because your body's prepared for that stress now. But we're going to play a little trick and we're going to short circuit because we're going to exceed our capacity again. And then we're going to repeat the process over okay. and over and over again. So I just put uh, that no pain, no gain is crap. Sells movies, but it kills clients. Uh, if you want people to stay at the gym, uh, learn about the different types of periodization. And so I guess maybe this is back to another point about understanding trends uh, and, and tools. And so there's, you know, we have linear periodization, you have block periodization, uh, you have a reverse periodization. You see world-class cycling teams that started hinting about that last year. Hmm. And so you might see that squeak into the aerobiccapacity.com because of the, the, the endurance connection there. Hmm. Uh, and then conjugated periodization. Uh, and, and there's all the different types and they all have their strengths. They all have their weaknesses. And so it's not necessarily that one is better per se than another, but one might be the better fit for an athlete at a certain time. And so and it all comes into play. It depends upon how many hours the athlete has to work per week. And what their goals are, whether they're just a competitive for life, mm-hmm. uh, elite level athlete. Man, I got 20 hours a week to train. Sweet. We're going linear on this one. Yeah, yeah. We got the time. And and I only want to be unbelievably good for about one week. But it's important for me to be unbelievably good and just marginally better. I just need to be 10 seconds faster. Okay, mm-hmm. well, we're going to go with the linear approach here. Yeah. Or maybe I'm a, I'm a time crunched athlete. Hey, I only have six hours per week. All right. Well, then I think we're going to have to work on all things all the time. So you never lose ground in any one area or one, any, any one engine. And, uh, in six hours a week, this is going to be as good as you're ever going to get. We'll get you into the top 10. Uh, but, but, but you can't be yeah. a number one because those guys are putting in 20, 20 hours a week and the rules are different for them. But uh, like a lot of my clients, they just want to get through the week. Oh, 
<laughs> so that's different. And they just want to be happy. That's right. You just know? be happy. Yeah. And, and so that's an interesting game too. Uh, and this one, I'm not certain here. Uh, I play with it. I played with it with different groups and different athletes. And the, uh, I guess the way to term it is what's the bare minimum I can do to create a positive adaptation. Okay. And so when you approach a workout, so I'm going to work just hard enough. So I've just exceeded my capacity and I've done the bare minimum amount of work. That's going to make me a better athlete or whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mom. So that one's tricky. And, and that's, I wish I knew more about that one. And then man, how, how hard do you have to work just to maintain? Because you have to have that conversation with all your clients too. They're going to come in and they're going to start improving like mad and they're going to get addicted to that improvement. But the law of diminishing returns shows that at some point they're not going to get any better period. Right. Then what? Well, yeah. then are we going to cycle between your best and like a, a 10% less version of that? So we can maintain over time. Are you going to try to maintain that PB forever? It's freaking hard, you know. Maybe I'm going to introduce you to something new. So to have, if you're looking to keep people for five, six, seven years down the road, how are we going to continually cycle through a number of different activities in a manner which keeps them motivated for a long period of time? Okay, good. Because if we don't have that conversation, I mean, they they'll have it in their head and they'll probably go looking for other programming or well, gym. The first thing that they do is, hey, man, I've been here for six months. I've Six months, crazy. absolutely. And now there's no more improvements. I'm not making any more gains. My coach sucks. Yep. <laughs> it's like, well, well no, <laughs> that's probably that's your genetic limit. You, yeah, you know, without you know cheating, yeah. you're just not going to get any better than that. And that's a that's a hard thing to swallow sometimes, especially again back to the Hollywood movie scenario where you can do anything you want if you put your heart into it. Say, like, well, I get that. I tell you what, I am never going to be a world class roar, and there's no amount of Drugs, cheating, anything that's ever going to change that. <laughs> no Chain oil. <laughs> Chain yeah. oil, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great. Okay, Ray. Well, uh, you know, we're going to expand on all this stuff yeah. individually. This is a ton to take in. Yeah, uh, there's like, maybe this is much a 10 quick tips. We just, yeah, we just again, broke our rule. My whole life. <laughs> but uh, we'll expand on all this stuff in Chicago, folks. And if you're not registered, uh, you can go to the summit on tbrainbusiness.com. If you're a coach and you're interested in coming, make sure your gym owner signs up because the only coaches that we're accepting at the summit are those whose gym owners are attending the business side. We want to make sure that you've got a foundation uh, that'll let you build a career and actually pursue excellence in coaching, not just a bunch of knowledge on how to keep your knees out in the squat. So Ray, thanks a lot for being here, brother. And uh, we'll be having you on here again soon. Thanks a lot. A lot of fun.